All right, take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter number 6. Mark chapter number 6. It is a whole lot cooler up here this morning than last week. It means I have to muck around a lot more to stay warm, I guess. Mark chapter number 6 and verse number 30. That's where we're going to start in a moment. Mark chapter 6 and verse number 30. Now, many people have uh, incorrect impressions or views of just who God is. Some people see God as being so high and above them that he has no time for them or me or you or whoever. Others see him as a, a favorite uncle who winks and smiles when you do something wrong and kind of watches with amusement to see how it will all unfold. Uh, God is certainly high and holy, amen? He's certainly that. And he's certainly separate from sinners. And he, doesn't, he doesn't partake of sin and in, he certainly does not wink at sin and sit back and watch an amusement. He's a God who's in control of all things. And He's a God who cares. And it, it, for some, I think they might be surprised to hear that God cares because all their perception is, is that God is of wrath and judgment. And that's true. He is a God of wrath and judgment. He will bring those things, but He is a God who cares. He cares about us. We see His care through the Lord Jesus Christ coming and living among us for a time. God Almighty arrolled Himself in flesh so He might live among men and die on the cross for sinners. That's a God who cares, amen? He cares about us. While He was endured, here He endured pain and suffering and poverty. Interesting verse in Matthew chapter 8, verse 20. I'll just read this for you. The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. So the Lord wasn't here to gain here on earth. He was of the poverty side. He was rejected as well. He was hated. He suffered pain. He knows what I like to be hungry, thirsty, and alone. And he died for you and for me. What an amazing Savior. And, and what those experiences that he went through, we go through as well in the sense that we go through times of being alone and pain and suffering and being rejected. He's acquainted with our grief. Isn't that a wonderful thing? When you have those situations in your life, you can bring it to the Lord and He knows He'll be there in a time of need. But in Mark chapter 6, we see the Lord cares. He's a Savior that cares. Uh, let's look at verse number 30 of Mark chapter number 6. And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus... And told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place, and rest a while. For there are many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. And they departed into a desert place by ship privately. And the people saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran afoot thither out of all the cities, and outwent them and came together unto him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people, and was moved with compassion toward them, because they were sheep not having a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you for another uh, opportunity we have to be together in your house this morning. And Lord, I pray that our hearts will be open to your word. Help us to understand once again, that you are a Savior who cares. And maybe this morning we'll understand for the very first time that you love us and that you provide salvation for all who will come. 
Uh, Lord, move in our hearts now, in Jesus' name, amen. The first thought here that we see about Jesus caring is that he cares about his servants. Jesus cares about his servants. We see that in verses 30 32. Their activity, the actions they're up to, the events of verse 30 actually take place right after verse number 13. Uh, between those verses, we looked at King Herod already. So it's like a little bit of an interlude between when the, the apostles went out and they were teaching, and now they're back. The disciples came back. And now we pick it up in verse number 30. Jesus sent the twelve out to preach, to teach, and to heal. He gave them very specific instructions when they went. And their ministry was an absolute success. And they return to the Lord, and they tell them all about the ministry that they had in the surrounding villages and towns. And they were thrilled about all that they had witnessed, and about the doctrine they had taught and they preached. Uh, in my mind's eye, have you ever been in a situation where there's a bunch of people who have done something and they really were excited about it? Have you ever noticed that they all stand in queue and wait their turn to tell you what happened? No, they don't do that. Because all 12 come at you at the one time, and they talk at the one time, and you're just holding on as they speak. Because they're so excited about it. You know, and I, I mean, these are fishermen, a lot of them, and I grew up a fisherman, so I, I'm making some parallels here. I'm not quite sure it, it would be the same, but I think it might be. Fishermen are loud. I mean, they're loud, and, uh, and they get together, and the one who's got the loudest voice wins the conversation. I could just see Peter yelling above John, Hey, we throw that one over there, Dad, and, and this one did this over here. Can, can you imagine, like, you're really excited about something? That's what you do, too. I, I bet some of you have really enjoyed your vacation. And you come to me and you tell me about it, and I want to go on vacation with you next time. You're so excited about it. And these men were excited about what the Lord had done. Well, they didn't quite understand everything that ever happened, but they were at a mountaintop, weren't they? They were excited about what the Lord had done. And that's awesome to be excited about that. And there really is no greater thrill in life than to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. There's not. There's no greater thrill. When you start to consider where you came from and how He saved your soul, then you think about Him allowing you to have a small part in His service is beyond comprehension. That he loves us so much to die for us, provide salvation for us, and then says, here, serve and help others along the way. The Bible is clear that the Lord saved us to serve him. He purposely redeemed us so that we might serve him in this world. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. And when he saves us, he equips us for that place of service. He gives us the abilities to do those things. It's a wonderful thing to be busy for the Lord Jesus Christ. He allows us to serve Him. That's a blessing. And there's no such thing as a too small task in serving the Lord Jesus Christ. There's not. Now, we, we, we allow that prideful uh, thought to come in our minds like, well, if no one can see me serve. I don't want to. Well, that's total pride. If no one sees you serve, who cares? Because you do it for the Lord. Amen? Because if people got to serve you, if people got to see you serve, you're doing it for them, not the Lord. And there's your reward that you did in front of somebody. Hey, no, it's all about serving the Lord. Aren't you glad for those people who vacuum uh, the, uh, the the carpets? Do you ever see them Sunday morning doing it? I've never seen it done Sunday morning. They usually do it Saturday or Friday or a few days before. But I'm so glad that they do it. 
I don't want people to have trash all over the place. You know? The, the idea is that they're willingly serving. And we don't know the hours people put in their prayer, and that's fine. Amen? We're talking to the Lord. We're bringing those things to the Lord and saying, Lord, help us. You know, look at the disciples. They didn't... They hadn't gone to Bible college for four years. They had a very condensed amount of time. I mean, it must have been pretty amazing to be taught by the Lord Jesus Christ. Like him sitting right there. That's amazing. But they didn't have a long period of training. But the little bit of training they had and the little bit of knowledge they had, they used it for the Lord. And the Lord used them. Don't wait until you know it all. Because you'll never get to a place where you know it all. And who likes to know it all anyway? You know, use what you have today to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And you might say, well, I'm not as good. Listen, don't compare yourselves among yourselves. I can't play the piano like Daniel can. So does that mean I don't go to church because you can't play like him? No, that's foolish. No, let, use the talents that you have for the, best of you, for, the, for the Lord. For the best of your ability, use your abilities. Use them for the Lord. And, and trust the Lord to use you as you go forward. And He'll teach you. He'll bring people across your path to help you become better at what you're, you're trying to do for the Lord. So He's, he's interested about His servants and he, he's, their activities. And He gives them some advice in, in verse number uh, 31. So verse 30 is, And apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told them all the things about what they had done and what they had, they had taught. So that we talked about that and how exciting that must have been. And then Jesus says, And He said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart, into a desert place, and rest a while. For there are many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. So Jesus sits down, and I, I can almost see a smile on the Lord's face as all these disciples are just so excited about what happened, great enthusiasm that they had. Then he gives some advice that we might think a little different, a little strange. And for some people, this is that this time would be the time to seize the moment. It's not time to stop. This is time to seize the moment. The people were listening. The crowds were coming. He seemed like a perfect time to send the disciples out once again and to go preach and heal and increase the crowds. Jesus, on the other hand, tells his disciples, let's come out for a time. Let's rest. Get some refreshment. I think there are several reasons why the Lord does this, and it's good for us to remember as well. There's physical stress. The physical stress of the ministry is enormous. The physical stress of the ministry is enormous. When the disciples returned to Jesus... They found him surrounded by crowds, and they were needy people. And they were coming at such a frenzy rate that Jesus and the men didn't even have time to eat a meal. I, I, I've been in workplaces, um, working with my dad in a tire shop in the, in the fall of the year when everyone's trying to get their tires on for the winter. And I have been in places where I worked, and there was not time to eat. Okay? And, and it's just so quick, so quick, so quick. But you know, to understand this is that that kind of stress, it won't take you long to, be, to break down. It won't be very long. Oh, sure, you might outpace your buddy and, and, and this one here, but eventually, eventually you'll break down. There's no way you can continue that way. And Jesus knew that his men needed to rest for their bodies, and, and they were going to be more effective for him if they could stop and re-energize and go forward again. So he suggests, he tells them, let's go across the lake. And there's a word here for us modern-day Christians as well. We need to be careful about how busy we get. Amen? We need to be careful. Uh, the Lord did not design us to have a, a cell phone to our ear and then look at our schedule and the, all we're doing is living in the margins of life. No, let's, let's purposely design our lives or try to get a, a schedule together and, and we can't expect to go full blast every day 
of the year. That's impossible. Well, some of you might make it for a lot longer than I would. But the reality is God designs us to have a rest. You know, uh, the Lord called the day, right, in creation. This is the one day, you know, sun rose and moon, you know, it's one day. But you know the observation of, of the month of the year was by man's observation? Right? We, we don't, you know, the Lord didn't tell us that 31 days is a month or, you know, 365 days is a year. You no know, man came up with those observations. But you know what? something the Lord did tell us? Is that he created the seventh day for us to rest. He did. So we need to rest. Our bodies are designed for that seventh day to rest. I don't know you, but Sunday naps are fantastic, are they not? Do I get an amen on that? Amen. Man, they're fantastic. You know, I love the Sunday afternoon nap. And I, and I meet people who don't do it. It's like, you are missing a blessing from God. All right? That, that is from the Lord. Get a nap. And God knows our bodies. He designed them. Right? He's the creator. Amen? And He knows that we need to take a rest. We need to pause from the work that we do. And one day, just to step back and say, hey, we need to rest. Now, I, I did not do this scientific survey or anything. Uh, but I did talk to Pastor Tisa about this week, and I've heard this statement before as well, that 45 minutes of hard preaching is equivalent to a mental and physical strength, uh, stress of working eight hours. You know, and we talked about it, and we definitely agree. And last week, when it was like 35 degrees in here, it felt like 16 hours, okay? <laughs> I'm telling you, last week when I got home, I was just like, well, where am I? <laughs> All right. But the reality is, it's a lot of work. And, you know, guess what? I would be way more effective on Sunday morning preaching if I'm getting things ready Saturday night to be here. Amen? Don't squander Saturday night and make Sunday morning ineffective, all right? And I know we start early here, and I'm glad you're here, but just mark it down. You know, last night around 6 o'clock, I'm telling the kids, go get your, get, go get your uh, church clothes together. Because I don't want to do 6 o'clock in the morning. When everybody, do you ever find Sunday morning is the hardest morning to get up? Anybody else like that? Yeah, so I'm getting prepared Saturday night to get ready for Sunday morning. I can't wait to get to church. I don't want anything to stop me from getting to church. You know, so we need to be preparing ourselves. And the Lord desires for us to rest and prepare for the day, amen? To come and expect something great from the Lord. I hope you came today expecting something from the Lord. Come to worship Him and tell Him how great He is and praise Him for what He's done because He has done so much. God wants us to serve Him. But he does not want us to kill ourselves in the process. He wants us, you know, to get a steady pace together and go forward serving him. Another reason, I believe, the disciples were in danger of being lifted up in spiritual pride. Spiritual pride. If these men went right back at it, what they had just done came back, Lord, sent them back out, I definitely think there was a danger that they could start thinking, look what we have done. We, the twelve, are amazing. Look what we have done. That's not strange to you, is it? Because that's human nature. To think that we have done it. That we can do it again. That the success that they had was because they followed the Lord Jesus Christ and His commands and His teachings. That's why they had success. It was not them. It was the Lord. And this pause, I believe, helps them understand exactly who they are. And without the Lord, we're not very much at all, are we? Without Him. We need Him. 
It's all about Him. And Jesus wanted to kind of remove Him from the limelight a little bit and say, rest. Don't let that pride build up in your heart and life to think it's all about me. He's doing it to get in the right perspective. There's a word for us here this, this morning as well. And pastors, as we preach, hey, if the message encourages you, I am so thankful and give God the glory. Amen. Praise the Lord. I remember this uh, when I was in Bible college. There was a lady... Uh, in our Bible college, who was an extremely good singer. She actually was trained in opera, okay? And she had an amazing range, uh, and it, she just could sing amazingly. And I remember someone coming to her and telling her, you know, I'm, I'm so thankful for that solo you sang on Sunday. And she's, well, thank you so much, but I want to give the Lord all the praise and honor because He gave me these abilities, and, you know, I'm just going to give Him the praise. It's not about me. You know, as a Freshman in college, I was like, wow, that's pretty amazing. Because you know the tendency of human flesh would be to say, yeah, I'm a pretty good singer. She said, no, it's not about me, it's all about the Lord. He gave me these talents, he gave me these abilities, I'm doing my best with them, give God the glory, amen? That's what she was saying. And the same thing with teachers in our church, if you're a great teacher, you're blessing people, great! Even your average teacher are blessing people. Great, give God the glory. Our, our special music in our church is fantastic. Our music program is fantastic. I'm glad you're using your talents. Give God the glory, amen? Give Him the glory for what He's able to use, use you with. And, and be really careful that you don't get in, that, in, in, in your mind a trap thinking that you're something really, really special. Hey, we're all special, Lord Jesus Christ. He came and died for us, amen? He loves us that much. But don't think you're all this. You know, the Lord is looking for humble servants to use going forward. Amen? He doesn't want a prideful spirit. Now, I believe that's really why he, he brought them out, just to get them out of the limelight and say, Hey, listen, your source of strength, it's me. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. And he deserves all the glory. And when we begin to think the success of our ministry are the result of our strength and ability, then we're headed for a fall. Then we're headed for a fall. We're headed for a fall. Remember that when we are coming to serve the Lord, it's all the idea to bless the Lord. And when we bless the Lord and give Him honor and glory, other people are blessed and encouraged as well. So let's remember that as we come. It's not this suit of flesh that gets the glory. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 33, And the people saw them and departing, and many knew Him, and ran a foot thither out of all the cities, and I went them, and came together unto Him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them because they were as a sheep not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. The second point here is he cares about lost sheep. He cares about lost sheep. Jesus and men, his men were taking their, their trip. They're, they're getting away. But they didn't slip away unnoticed. Have you ever tried to do that? You, you try to slip out of the office without getting me noticed. <laughs> hey! Hey, get back here! <laughs> you know? The idea is that they were trying to get away and, and didn't go unnoticed. So the people saw them leaving and it's like, that's Jesus. That's Jesus and the disciples. And if we see where his boat, he's going over there. And they outran the boat. Like, I mean, maybe it was a really, not a very windy day. So the boat took a long time to get across. By the time they got there, the fast walkers in Bible times were there waiting. 
All right, they're there waiting on the other side. And the crowd was not insignificant. It wasn't like a couple hundred people or, uh, or 20 people or you know, a few people on a dog. It was a lot of people. You know, a few verses later, the scripture talks about it was 5,000 men were fed, so probably in excess of 20,000 people had followed around, came out of the cities. I don't know about you, but if I know I was going on a vacation and my work followed me, would I be very happy? Not really. No, no, I mean, if I, I'm telling everybody, I'm out of town for the day, you know, I'm going across on my boat, and I get there, and, and all the work that I had here is over there, I'd be getting back my boat and going back. <laughs> uh, but the reality is, you know, our human nature is like, this is an interruption. This is maybe a little bit of a nuisance. Uh, I think some people would ignore the people. Say, hey, listen, I'm on vacation time. Excuse me, excuse me. But not Jesus. Not Jesus. The, ta- the Bible tells us that he was moved with compassion toward them. There's several emotional responses when you see someone with a need. First one is apathy. That's a reference to an absence of emotion. It is an emotion, you just don't care. Right? You see someone, I don't care. You know, maybe you drive by and you see someone uh, having a problem with the car. It's like, oh, that's too bad. Now, if you can't fix the car, you're not really any help if you did stop, but maybe they need a cell phone or whatever. But the apathy, and isn't that, isn't that evident in our world today? Who cares? I can do whatever I want to do. Apathy, a lot of it in our world today. Sadly, there's a lot in the church today. Because there's a whole world that needs Jesus Christ out there, right? There's a whole lot of people out there that need Jesus Christ. And sometimes we don't care. They need to know. Sympathy. This word refers to our harmony of feeling. In other words, you see a need, and you know how they feel because you felt that way too. So I have sympathy for an individual who's in his 20s, he's in college, and he gets a phone call that his mother has breast cancer. Because that happened to me. I can sympathize with you. I know exactly how that feels. So sympathy. I sympathize. Another emotion is empathy. That word speaks of emotion that's stronger than sympathy, so I can sympathize, but the empathy makes me want to help you with that pain, help you deal with that pain. I, I know how that feels, so I'm going to try to help you a little bit. And then the word compassion. The word compassion is used in the Bible meaning to be moved inwardly to yearn with tender mercy and affection, pity and empathy. It refers to the deepest possible feelings I mean, move with compassion. It literally means to be the inner organs. The idea is it, you're, it's the bottom of your heart. That's the term we would use today. From the bottom of my heart, I feel for you. I love you. I want to help you. And when Jesus saw these people, that's how he was moved. There was such a strong desire to help them. The reasons for his burden, when Jesus looked out, he saw those people as a lost sheep. He, he was stirred because they were without a shepherd. No one cared. Oh, they had religious leaders, the the scribes, the the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin, but they didn't care. They didn't care about the people. What they cared about is the people continue to march to their tune. They cared about the people continue to drop money in the offering plate so they could continue to live the way they like to, the lavish lifestyle, line their pockets, obey their rules. And that kind of leadership was soundly condemned by God in Ezekiel chapter 34. The Jewish leaders looked at the, uh, the people of Israel for what they could do to 
They serve them to exist, not for them to serve the people. What a horrible leadership. It's not the, that's not biblical. When Jesus saw the people of Israel, He saw their need and He saw they needed a shepherd. The image of lost people as sheep is very powerful. As you know, sheep need a shepherd. They have no sense of direction. I can remember driving as a child up to my grandmother's house in the north, uh, northern peninsula of Newfoundland, and there was a guy, I think he was in a, was a little town, he had a, a place called Parsons Pond, I believe he had a flock of sheep, and one time as we were driving up there, those sheep got out. You know, those sheep did not understand as they were walking up the ditch that transport trucks could hit them and kill them. And they walked right towards them. I remember seeing this one little sheep like, wow, look at that, it's a transport truck coming at me. You know, walking right towards it. And, you know, my dad was like, blowing on heart, get off the road! You know, and then we watched other ones just kind of looking this way and fall down in the ditch. You know, you know, and I, we did see some people running out to the road trying to get them back off the road. But the reality is, without a shepherd, they're lost. Uh, they were walking all over the place and helplessly, uh, absolutely defenseless. And uh, they're so needy that this animal is very dependent upon humans to, uh, you know, as a shepherd to bring them where they need to go. When Jesus refers to lost people as sheep, he's trying, he's not trying to insult you. He's trying to merely tell you the truth that we're lost without him. He loves you. Sheep without a shepherd cannot find their way. Apart from the ministry of Jesus Christ, the heavenly shepherd, no lost person will ever find their way to God. They will not. There is no other way but through him. They are hopelessly lost. They need a shepherd to come and rescue, rescue them. And thank God that's Jesus Christ and he is available and ready and wanting to rescue you today. Amen? That's his desire. Sheep without a shepherd, I just mentioned too, are absolutely defenseless. Apart from the intervention of the heavenly shepherd, no lost person will ever avoid the wrath of God and the fires of hell. The lost are in terrible danger today. They're in terrible danger. Religious activity, good works, good intention, and being a good person will never get you to heaven. It will never get you there. Hey, I believe that for a while. That I'm just being a good person. I'm living good morals. I grew up in an independent Baptist church just like this. And I was believing that myself. And I came to the point to understand that if I kept doing it that way, it wouldn't get me to heaven, but it would lead me directly to a place called hell and away from Christ for eternity. And that's what the Word of God says. The only cure for the disease of sin is the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That's the only cure. He's the only hope. He's the only way of salvation. Jesus said unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. That's it. No other way. When a lost sheep comes to him for salvation, they receive absolute security. Once you're in the fold, you're always in the fold. You're in the palm of his hand. No man can take you away from the Heavenly Father. Amen? That is fantastic. It's fantastic. That's the security we have. We are absolutely defended then, aren't we? The Lord's watching over us. The reach of His burden. In verse number 34 as well. And was a move of compassion toward them because they were sheep not having a shepherd. And He began to teach them many things. Jesus saw this huge crowd. He also saw the individuals in that crowd. He looks out on the throng of people and He saw every broken heart. 
He saw every physical pain, every emotional need, every spiritual problem. He saw it all. He saw the crippled child. He said that wife that was abused. He saw that depressed father. He saw that rebellious teenager. Jesus looked at the crowd, but he saw the individual. That's who he saw. That's who he saw was the individual. And that encourages me today. I praise the Lord that we serve a God who knows all things. The eyes of the Lord on every place beholding the evil and the good. Our God sees that everything that happens in this universe and he has the ability to focus in on you and know who you are. I don't know if you understand that. I mean, I, I remember a couple years ago I heard a song about talking about the He knows my name. And the reference was the Savior, God, knows my name. How many people on earth? Seven billion plus? God knows every one of our names. He knows you. He knows you. He knows the problems that you face. He knows the battles that you're going through right now. He knows how you should depend upon Him. And He desires. His arms are wide open. Come to me and I'll help you. Give them to me and I'll give you rest. He's just waiting. He knows you. He knows that temptation that you struggle with. He knows that relationship that you're having that is in trouble. He cares about you. He cares about the needs in your life. You can come to Him. Regardless of the problem that you face, and cast your care upon Him, for He careth for you. Amen. The Gospel reveals to us the love of the Savior. He, he has compassion for the sick in Matthew 18. His compa- uh, for the sinner, sorry. He has compassion for the sick in Mark chapter 1. He has compassion for the suffering in Luke chapter 7. He has compassion for the seeking, Mark chapter 10. Why was Jesus able to have compassion on so many different kinds of people in so many different settings and situations. Because Jesus, even though He knew all their faults and all their problems, He didn't let that get in the way of His compassion and love for them. He did not just look what He saw on the surface. He could look at the people and see the needs of their heart, the deepest need. He loved them at the deepest level. And as as a result, He wasn't impatient. Now, I know he's Jesus, I know he's the Son of God, but he's to be our example, believers, is he not? He's to be our example, so we should desire to follow an example, to have patience with those who are hard to deal with, and not to be offended, and to serve them the best that we can. So often we base the evaluation of a person on what we see and what we hear. I know I've done it, I do it. We need to, look, need to learn, like the Savior, look past the exterior and see what they really need, and what they really need is Jesus. That's what they really need. Now, I understand there's some people that are going to be hard to deal with. I understand that. But we need to look to them and see their need, that they need Jesus. And he began to teach them. The response of his burden, that these people came to Jesus for help. He didn't drive them away. They were out in a, they were, they were out in a different kind of location, you know, kind of separate from other places. They came from the cities to Him. And Jesus, as they came to Jesus, He put forth a beautiful banquet of spiritual truth. You know, just not too long now, we'll probably have a real big, uh, you know, here up on the communion table here, we'll have a big display of 
the horn with all the food and you know, just remembering all the great things with uh, Thanksgiving. All the food and things. And the Lord brought these people out to this desert area, or out of the city at least, and he prepared for them a big table of spiritual truth. Feast on it. Come and eat. Come, come, come and enjoy. Let me tell you the truth. He led these lost sheep, like he says in the, in the Psalms, to green pastures. He brought them to his word. Jesus gathered up the lost sheep that day, and he pointed them to his father. He surely told them the way of salvation. He surely told them of the love of God for the lost. He surely told them of the hope, life, and peace, and joy that were available in him. He wanted to help them. He had the power to help them. So he reached out and he helped them. Come. Come to me. Can you remember the day when you were wandering over the hills of sin and you heard the shepherd call you? Come on to me. Come on to me. I'll give you rest. Amen. Come on to me. And he lifts you up out of that desperate place. Maybe you had fallen in some horrible pit. And he reached down and he took you up out of that horrible pit. And he placed your feet upon this, the solid rock. And he showed you the truth. Place of peace, safety, and blessing. Do you remember that? It's good for us believers to remember where we were headed. On those fields of sin, and the shepherd rescued us. We trusted in him, and he secured us. And he changed our lives. If he did it for you, which he did, if you know Jesus Christ as Savior this morning, he'll do it for someone else as well. The shepherd has not grown old. You know, he, he doesn't need a, a couple sticks to get around, shepherd. No, he's still a powerful shepherd as he was in the day that he gave this message. He cares about you. He's able to help you if you'll just come to him. Now, I really appreciate being around people who care about me. And it's not for a selfish reason, but I know people who care about me have their best interests in mind. I love hanging around with my dad. Cares about me. He loves me. You know, he, he's planning on coming up in another couple of weeks and help me do some uh, labor around the house. Now, when Dad comes and does labor around the house, he does often infer to me how I'm not such a great carpenter like he is. <laughs> now, he does it in a very loving way, and I don't feel really down about it. I just don't have those abilities. All right, uh, but he does care about me, and he still continues to try to teach me how to make these renovations. I like being around him. I love being around my dad. Yeah, and, and the idea is, Christians, we, want, we should care for each other, amen? Encouraging each other to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, to do what's right. That should be our desire. That I know that's a desire of my heart as a pastor to encourage you to serve Jesus and to serve him better than you've ever done before. Amen. But no one cares for you and loves you like Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you don't know him, you need to. He'll change your life. He'll change your life.